Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at 44 Football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, for this week 14 preview show to get you ready for the final week before the fantasy playoffs. Some of you may even be in the playoffs. And of course, we are here today, good friend in life, with none other than John Paulson. Paulson, week 14, how are you holding up? Holding up, uh, ready to knock out this final stretch of the season, hopefully get our subscribers some championships. Uh, It's just an injury wasteland out there, but we're doing our best to keep those rankings updated. It's that time of the year where third-string quarterbacks come in and just tank all offenses. You look across the board, there are so many team totals and and just totals overall this week that are disastrous. We'll get to them, though, as they account for players. Director of Analytics here at 4 for 4 as well, Sam Hoppin. How's it going, buddy? It's going well. I uh, To your point about all the, the quarterback situations and stuff, I put out some uh, a consensus of the some power ratings for the NFL, and they are all over the place with how much these quarterbacks are are swinging things and not knowing who's going to start. So uh should be a fun week for us and a, a fun week in the NFL. And we'll talk about all those changes as we move along here and try to get everyone ready for not only week 14, but six teams on by. Imagine, and I know we're all in this position, trying to scrape by in a must-win game to make it to next week, and suddenly you look up and you have seven different players on by. So let's start with Jets running backs, Zonovan Knight, and more importantly, Michael Carter, who returned to a full practice at the time of this recording on Wednesday. Because Robert Sala was asked about the backfield on Wednesday, and he responded that Zonovan Knight is quote-unquote not going anywhere. Paulson, we saw Zonovan Knight out-touch Ty Johnson 20-7 to in this matchup and still now has eight targets in his last two games as well as Mike White continues hammering both Garrett Wilson and running backs. What are your thoughts on this backfield moving forward, including Michael Carter for week 14 prospects? Yeah. And uh, the uh, beat writer for the athletic Zach Rosenblatt said that uh, he's earned a full-time role. One he'll keep even when uh, Michael Carter returns. So I don't know he's if he has invited yeah, inside information or if that's um, just his feeling on the backfield or whatever. So it does seem like Knight is atop this backfield now. Uh, we might see, if, if Carter is back this week, we might see kind of the split that we saw with Brees Hall and Carter uh, when Brees Hall was sort of the lead back, had worked his way into the lead back role. I think that's how I'll treat it. Uh, so I think Knight will take a little bit of a hit versus where he's at right now because Carter's more of a threat than Ty Johnson, but I don't think he'll move down uh, too much when I put uh, Michael Carter back in the rankings. Sam, any thoughts on the Jets' passing fallout? Because what we have seen, actually, because Mike White is not only helping this team's running backs through the passing game, but also if you exclude those last two quarters against the Bears and just take into account the surrounding six quarters – the Jets have actually framed their offense around Mike White, 64.5% pass play rate in that time, which is absolutely insane. But that's why everyone in this offense now, Corey Davis included, is suddenly getting there and viable for Week 14. Yeah, I tweeted out uh, either yesterday or the day before the splits and pass rate over expectation with Zach Wilson. Without Zach Wilson, it's about dead even when either Joe Flacco or Mike White has started, and it's about, I think, negative 5.5% uh, pass rate over expectation when Zach Wilson has started. So there's inherently a 
an increase in the volume that we're getting from the Jets when they play these games. Um, and it's an interesting split with the the running backs. This past week, Ty Johnson and Zonovan Knight both ran around 42% of routes on the team's dropbacks. But Ty Johnson was clearly the third down guy. He played on about 70% of the team's third downs and Knight was at 18%. So I think both of them can have a role. I don't remember exactly what Carter's role in the passing game was before this, but it looks like James Robinson is just completely phased out at this point. Wouldn't be surprised if they make him a healthy scratch in the weeks to come, but this very well could be a a three-headed backfield, and I think it comes down to who is ultimately going to get the passing down work because the rushing work for sure looks like it's going to be night and, and Johnson doesn't have any impact in that, but whether and, and how much Carter dips into that rushing workload is a big question. In a vacuum, Paulson, Michael Carter or Zonovan Knight, who is the better option if you have the choice between the two for week 14, in your opinion? Well, I think given what Sala said and what the beat writer said in The Athletic, that it looks like Knight is the lead back right now. So he'll remain that way with Carter back. So like that's like I said, I think it's when Brees Hall took over as the lead back, I think that's the, the split I'm going to look at with Carter, you know, being a pretty healthy backup, but not splitting 50-50 or anything like that. So I think I think we're looking at Knight as the lead back in this backfield right now. Let's sift through this Jaguars offense because Trevor Lawrence looked like a good streaming option. It seemed like we could have confidence yet again for a, a for Zay Jones in a game against a Titans secondary, allowing a league high in yards per target to opposing boundary receivers. But then we get a DNP slapped on us for Trevor Lawrence on Wednesday, and Doug Peterson had to come out and actually say that he's day-to-day and quote-unquote may not play. So in your opinion, Paulson, with this toe injury for Lawrence, what is the fallout if we look up on Sunday morning and it's C.J. Beathard under center instead? Well, I'm holding out hope that he is able to play. He did finish the game, probably got a shot or something and finished the game against the Lions. And typically when players are able to finish the previous week's game, they're able to play in the following game. It doesn't, it's not 100% true. So uh, this, you know, may not play quote is a little bit alarming. If it is Beathard, it obviously is going to be a downgrade to the entire offense. I'm sure the line will change. Um, their, their implied total will change. And so it'll affect everybody pretty negatively. Um you know, this is a, such a good spot for Lawrence and for Christian Kirk and for Zay Jones, as you mentioned. Not a great spot for Travis Etienne, but um, the, the Titans do allow some passing yardage to, to running backs. But, you know, if Lawrence can't play, it's, it's just a giant downgrade to the offense. I would imagine, though, Sam, assuming whether Lawrence is under center or not, actually, we are starting Travis Etienne with confidence, correct? After they... I thought Jermichael Hasty may have played himself into a larger role last week, even if Etienne were to return, since he averaged 5.7 yards per touch a couple weeks ago when Etienne was injured. And instead, we saw Hasty not get a single touch, and Etienne be an every down back last week uh, against the Lions. It's definitely starting Etienne with confidence, I think, is a, a different question because the way to attack this Titans defense right now is through the air over the last four weeks. The Titans' pass defense ranks in the bottom six 
in EPA per pass allowed. So we we saw there was sort of the blueprint last week with the Eagles attacking the Titans through the air. Granted, the the Jaguars don't have the same sort of weapons as them, but it is it is something that it is a weakness for Tennessee's defense. I think it's also interesting to note that over the last three weeks for the Jaguars, they've had a 4.3% pass rate over expectation, which is more than they've had in the, in the first 10 weeks of the season. So I, I would expect that pass heaviness to continue if Trevor Lawrence is on her center, but I, I don't know how much success they have on the ground. Granted, uh, Etienne has evolved quite a bit in the passing game as well. So I think that's what, keeps his floor high enough and uh makes him a solid starter and the the titans the titans have yielded the most uh catches to running backs 83 uh, and the seventh most yardage to running backs so that's where etn can make some production there and given that this jaguars defense has allowed 290 passing yards per game and 27 and a half points since week six we're expecting them to have to throw anyhow, whether Lawrence is under center or not. I want to juggle the quarterback situation for week 14, though, and move on to Tyler Huntley. Because Tyler Huntley, of course, and for Lamar Jackson, who's now deemed week to week, we don't necessarily know how long he'll be out. But what we have seen going back to last year is in Tyler Huntley's six starts, the six games he played at least 80% of the team snaps, he's averaged a 68% completion rate. And nine carries per game, 15.9 fantasy points per game in those six starts, which honestly isn't mind-blowing, but I take the rushing floor any day with those nine scrambles, especially given this landscape. So what are your thoughts on Tyler Huntley for week 14, Paulson? My only concern here is that this Ravens team total has dipped to 17 points. It's an absolute mess right now. And so... After you tell us your analysis, I do want to get into a little bit of a game here for one quarterback leagues, since a lot of people will have a choice. Yeah, you mentioned his rushing numbers, and that's what I I listed him as a sneaky start this week. Sam, let's hear about Tyler Huntley, maybe getting to uh, the Ravens target share as well, because we also know last year with, with Tyler Huntley, Mark Andrews, 28% target share, 22.8 fantasy points per game, literally responded as the overall tight end one, not because of Lamar Jackson, because of Tyler Huntley. He got him there. But then we also saw Huntley come off the bench and throw 32 passes this past game. And it was Demarcus Robinson who led the team with eight targets to 25% target share. So any hope here for the Ravens offense and Tyler Huntley? Hope for, if we're talking about Tyler Huntley as a, as a quarterback uh, for fantasy, I do think to your point, he has the floor because of the rushing, the offense for the Ravens won't need to change that much because they the the Ravens over the past several years have done a really good job of finding a backup quarterback that is not does not have a very different play style from Lamar Jackson so I think he has that floor again you've got a couple names other names here on the show sheet about Uh, as far as as quarterbacks to start. I think I'd take Ryan Tannehill over him. I think he's got a bit of a bigger ceiling given what I just talked about with the the Jaguars defense also struggling against the pass. Mike White could get there purely on the passing volume. And Jared Goff, I think, is the one where I might take Huntley over him. But from a target distribution standpoint, like you said, Demarcus Robinson had eight targets 
Mark Andrews second at seven, and then Devin Duvernay at six, and then uh, it was likely Deshaun Jackson and James Prochet. So a fairly spread out passing attack. We've we continue to see Mark Andrews just struggle. He had he caught just four of the seven passes that he was given this past week. So I continue to think that better days are ahead for Mark Andrews. You should be starting Mark Andrews because as you've pointed out time and time again, the tight end position is a dumpster fire. And that said, I don't think that Robinson or Duvernay are really that worthwhile of a starter at this point in the the three quarters that they had with Huntley last year, they had a negative 3.1% pass rate over expectation. They were very successful running the ball. So I would suspect that they do that again this week against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Jared Goff, my personal favorite of the bunch may still be out there in shallow waiver wires. Uh, The highest total by four points uh, of, of any matchup this week against the Vikings and both the Lions and Vikings defenses uh, the Vikings allowing 31 and a half points per game over the last month. Like it's a disaster out there. So I have all the confidence in the world and Jared Goff. I actually put him very close to Kyler Murray. I'm, I'm trying to decide right now in, in a high stakes one quarterback league, which to start. But then behind that Paulson, I personally, and I want to get your thoughts on this. I have Ryan Tannehill over Tyler Huntley. And I wish, I hope Traylon Burks plays, but either way, this Jags defense being one of, if not the worst in the league with the Bears, is really the point of the matter right now. Um, and I have all the confidence in the world in Ryan Tannehill over Tyler Huntley, and that I will take Huntley's rushing floor over Mike White, even though Mike White's ceiling may be sneaky here against a, a Bills defense that looked better than, that looked good because of Matt Patricia more than anything. So what are your thoughts on those four quarterbacks, Goff, Huntley, Tannehill, Mike White? Yeah, I have Goff. Uh, the highest as well. I have him at nine. Uh, and then I have uh, Huntley next at 15. I, I like the the rushing floor. You mentioned six uh, starts. He had four starts last year, 40 yards, 73 yards, 54 and 72 yards rushing. So that's a really nice uh, rushing floor. Uh, he's not the greatest passer, 193 yards in those four starts last year. Um, he did have a 270 yard, one touchdown game in week 14 of last year in relief of Lamar Jackson. Agree with uh, Mark Andrews. I think he's the only starter in this uh, offense uh, as far as pass catching. Um, I have Tannehill at 17 and uh, Mike White at 20 right now in the in the quarterback rankings. I don't trust – I mean, Mike White, everybody's talking about how great he played last week, but it was a sub seven yards per attempt, and he got there in volume. Uh, did throw for three, over 350 yards, uh, but he had two picks. Um, and I believe he had a bad game last last year against uh, Buffalo um, that kind of stopped his run of good games. So I, uh, I have him at 20 as sort of a mid-range uh, QB, QB2 if you're in dire straits. I think there is a chance he gets there on volume. Uh, my concern with Tannehill is that uh, without Traylon Burks likely uh, out, uh, he's just kind of running short on weapons right now. And, and the, the matchup is good against Jacksonville, but I wonder if this is just a, a Derrick Henry game. James Cook atop the waiver wire, one of the last remaining good players available. And when asked Sean McDermott about Cook's role today, he responded that the rookie is capitalizing on his opportunities and more importantly that his practice reps are now translating onto the field on game day. We saw Cook out-touch Devin Singletary 2013 uh, and run more routes than Singletary 
for the first time all year in a game. So, Paulson, what are your thoughts on this backfield moving forward since they actually took away from Singletary with Naheem Hines, a season high in snap race for Naheem Hines as well? Yeah, I mean, based on last week's surprising usage, I would uh, start Cook over Singletary if I had both. I have him ranked higher. Uh, you mentioned the touch disparity, 20 to 13, but you know, just looking at the first three quarters when the uh, game was still you know up in the air, it was 19 to eight in favor of Cook uh, over Singletary. Um, Singletary did play one more snap, uh, but this looks like a, a timeshare. But when Cook's on the field, they're trying to feature him more. They're trying to get him the ball more. Uh, the Jets have been a little bit vulnerable against uh, running backs. Uh, they've allowed an average of 134 total yards. Uh, but really, a lot of that 5.5 receptions for 49 yards receiving for opposing backfield since week nine. So that's someplace where uh, Cook can really shine as a receiver. Sam, any thoughts here on this backfield? No, I do. I, I do see a question in the chat about James Cook versus Rashad White this week. And I do think that's a very interesting question because it's two guys who are on the rise or, or at least white had been on the rise for sure, but definitely got some run taken away from him with four net back. Meanwhile, it seems like again, based on whatever, everything you guys have said, cook is starting to take over this backfield, but we only have one, one game sample size of that. And from a defensive matchup standpoint, the bucks, face the 49ers who are one of the best defenses in the NFL. So I think I'd probably lean cook. This might be a prisoner of the moment type situation, but it is very close between those two guys. I'd be curious as to what you guys think. Paulson, you can go first white or James cook. Well, I have white a few spots ahead of, of James cook, but the projections are so close that I don't have a strong take on it. I mean, white, White's matchup sucks. I mean, the the 49ers are first in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. Uh, the Jets are 15th. So you know, I do feel like there might be some more points scored in this in this Bills-Jets game. Uh, and for that reason, along with the Fournette, presence of Fournette um, might, might lead me to Cook if you, if you can trust that workload from last week, which I think, you know, it just seems to me like it came out of nowhere uh they're supporting it with some quotes there that you mentioned john uh it does seem like cook has moved ahead of singletary but i mean we could very easily see a very a very 50 50 split in terms of touches or even singletary you know nip his ho uh, nose back in front in this backfield uh just based on the way the wind's blowing in, in buffalo i would definitely go cook over white uh, i think when people look at the box score, they're just seeing that last second touchdown that helped them get there. But this Bucks offense, they haven't scored more than 23 points in eight consecutive games. Like that, that last touchdown overshadowed the fact they are miserable. Uh, and so just given the fact, like Sam said, that Leonard Fournette and White split touches, White who still isn't, and I don't attribute this necessarily all to him, but attributing nothing in the rushing game. Leonard Fournette looks like the significantly better runner. Um, yeah, I definitely lean James Cook in that situation. Another running back who also popped was DeAndre Swift. Outtouched Jamal Williams for the first time, 18-11, since week one. And more importantly, you can look at the score and say it was garbage time, but both Swift and Jamal Williams got touches on the team's final drive before they got the ball back and yielded out. It was both on the field for the entire game. DeAndre Swift now also, who has a 20% target share in back-to-back -back games with, with total 11 total targets in that span. I think, Paulson, we are back 
to having confidence in DeAndre Swift? Yeah, I think the uh, you know the thing that we noticed uh, heading into last week's game was that he was off the injury report like completely. So in theory, fully healthy, which is rare at this time of year, especially for him. Um, but last week I did rank him higher than usual because of that, because it did seem like there was a chance they might expand his role and it did come to fruition. And now I've got him at 12 and half PPR. If I have him, I'm, I'm trying to start him uh, in this matchup against the, the Vikings. You mentioned the totals very high. There's going to be a lot of points scored in this game. It's indoors. Uh, uh, he can score points multiple ways. He's very talented. Uh, the only the only real knock on his situation at this point is that Jamal Williams is the goal line back and uh, very likely to see any of those one-yard plunges, which the, the Lions seem to have every week, uh, at least one or two carries from the, from the one-yard line. Um, so, I mean, that's why Evan Silva's uh, bet on Jamal Williams uh, scoring the most touchdowns uh, in the in the league this year is is looking pretty good, um, but I think Swift's a very a good and safe start this week given what usage we saw last week. Jamal Williams, Sam, averaging a touchdown for every 13 carries. I'm sure that's sustainable. Uh, what are your thoughts here for Williams, who hasn't been targeted in five consecutive games? But it doesn't matter what you post six points on touchdowns every week. Yeah, and I think I, I mean again, you, you have to start Jamal Williams if you have him. He's played well enough. He has the touchdown equity, but. I worry if he's going to burn some fantasy managers in the playoffs if they don't get into the red zone that closely. We've because he doesn't he's not involved outside of that goal line work. I mean, he gets some some carries between the 20s, but he's not involved in the passing game whatsoever. It does help that the Lions have the fifth best rest of season schedule based on our adjusted fantasy points allowed after Minnesota this week. They get the Jets, who are middle of the pack, good, but then they face Carolina and Chicago in the final two weeks of the fantasy football playoffs. So I I think the big thing also that you noted, Daigle, was that DeAndre Swift was getting the work when they were ahead. In the previous couple weeks, they were really only using him in two-minute situations in clear and obvious passing situations because that's what his skill set is. But the fact that he was getting some of those, you know, between the 20s carries, they're not high-value touches, but the fact that he's getting them, I think, is very, very encouraging. Can I, can I add something, too? Absolutely. Can I add something as well? Uh, Swift saw 18 touches last week. You mentioned that. Last time he did that was week one. Uh, and looking at Jamal Williams' work in those two games, he had 11 carries in week one with two touchdowns, one reception. And then last week he had 11 carries, no receptions, and one touchdown. So those were near lows for him. He had uh, just one game against Miami in week eight where he had under 11 or fewer carries, and he also had two touchdowns in that game. So, yes, uh, Jamal Williams can get there with the touchdowns, but there is – bound to be a game here where he has, you know, 50 yards, 40 yards rushing and no touchdowns. Um, but he does have, you know, 14 touchdowns on the season. So it's a pretty good bet every week that he's going to score. I want to spin it off to this Lions passing game as well. And curious, Paulson, if you think we're in a position to start flex Jameson Williams this week, Williams, of course, only eight snaps, two routes run, one target that was sailed out of bounds. It was uncatchable. So it didn't matter at all. And you would think that 
if he does grow into a larger role, either this week or moving forward, it would take away from DJ Chark. At the same time, Chark led the team and routes run last week uh, and now has 47% of Detroit's air yards in that game as well as their downfield threat. So given this poor Viking secondary, we already talked about it, 34 plays of 10 plus yards through the air over the last month. We want to play Shark. Do we have enough confidence to also play Jameson Williams? Uh, I, I mean, I wouldn't. Uh, I think there's lots of different options that are going to be on the field quite a bit more than than Jamison Williams. He does have the speed and the deep threat, and the, this is a slowpoke uh, Vikings uh, secondary that is susceptible to the deep ball. Uh, so it could just be a one-play thing that could get him there, maybe a one-catch for 73-yard touchdown type of a deal. But I, I don't see the playing time yet. For It looks like the Lions want to ramp him up. And they're relatively healthy now at, at receiver. Uh, Josh Reynolds is off the injury report. He's practicing. DJ Chark's, you know, fully active. Uh, they got Cleef Raymond as well. So there's no need to rush Williams too quickly and have him re-injure after he's been out for, you know, missed so much football. So that's just my take on it. They may have him out there running a few fly routes and one might pay off. Um, but I don't, you know, I wouldn't want to count on that. I think he's maybe more of a GPP play if he's still cheap, which I assume he's, you know, minimum cost right now, that might be worthwhile, but I don't know if I want to trust him in my fantasy lineup this week. FFPC league, Sam still rolling on another round of playoffs here. What are you doing? If you have Jameson Williams on your bench, is he staying on there? He's, he's for sure staying on there. The, the only situation in which you're starting Jameson Williams, my mind is if you're really struggling because of the bye weeks, which very well could be a thing, or if you're not in an FFPC league, you're just in a regular league and you've got a playoff spot locked up, you want to you know, give one of your starting wide receivers a break and, and sit them on the bench for a week, then you can can plug Jamison Williams in. But I, I wouldn't trust someone who just ran eight routes last week. Seventh round rookie, Brock Purdy, off the bench for Jimmy Garoppolo, who's now expected to miss the rest of the year following foot surgery. And what we saw, at least off the bench, was 67% completion rate, 210 yards, two touchdowns, one turnover for Purdy. This this situation is familiar to me, Paulson, from 2018 rookie Nick Mullins, who elevated and became a good quarterback, not because of what he did, but because of Shanahan's system. But that's when Mullins in eight starts averaged over eight yards per attempt for that 49ers offense. And how many rookies can say they step into a situation with the best left tackle in football, the best running back in football, the best tight end, one of the best tight end all around in football, and Debo freaking Samuel. So I actually think, especially short term on a short week against the Buccaneers who played on Monday night, I actually think it may be a good spot for Purdy and I have a little bit of confidence in this 49ers offense. What are your thoughts on them moving forward, assuming it's Purdy starting every single game the rest of the year? Uh, well, we'll have to see. I mean, the as you mentioned, the yards per attempt. So this that's a feature of this passing attack. Uh, Garoppolo is always over eight. Um, Mullins was over eight. Uh, I don't remember what Trey Lance was, uh, but it, it, this is a high, yard, high yards per attempt offense. And he did come in in relief and only average 5.7 yards per attempt. So that is slightly worrisome, but you kind of give him a pass because he's being thrown into the fire, uh, not really ready to play necessarily in this game, uh, or really preparing as the starter. But we'll see how he does uh, this coming week. As you mentioned, this is just a great situation to walk into as a backup 
uh, quarterback. Um, I think there is some upside here if you know, two quarterback leagues with him, given all the weapons that they have. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the 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 only concern that I have besides just draft capital and and that is that the the yards per attempt weren't there against uh, you know kind of a shaky Dolphins defense. I do want to mention one thing about his rushing is that my quarterback model, he did attempt four, four carries for, and then ended up with negative one yards. Uh, but my rookie quarterback model um, does do a good job of predicting rush yards per game for quarterbacks, translating their stats from, from final year of college to the NFL. And for Purdy, he's expected to ru- uh, rush for about 15, 16 yards per game. So that's a little bit of a floor there uh, as well as a runner, which is something that uh, Garoppolo did not offer. It also... Certainly doesn't hurt if you're hammering Christian McCaffrey with 10 targets, all of the running back targets. And I'm guessing, Sam, that's what we're going to see moving forward, that this is going to be a Christian McCaffrey-centric offense, and they are going down with that ship. What, though, are your thoughts about Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk from Purdy moving forward? I, I'm not worried about... I'm not worried about Brandon Ayuk. Again, this offense is designed for their receivers to get yards after the catch and and sort of make their day based off of that. I am worried about Debo Samuel just because of the workload that he's had the past several weeks. It's not, you know, we've seen with Christian McCaffrey coming into town that he just has, isn't being used quite as much. So I think that's, that would give me the most hesitation to, starting Debo Samuel at this point. So I I still think you you might probably be starting them anyway, uh, because Debo Samuel is is such an elusive threat. Like I mentioned, the he he has the unique ability to break off one of those long runs after a, a four yard slant. So that said, again, I'm not I'm not seeing not that I think that Brock Purdy isn't a downgrade because I think he is from Jimmy G. But in this offense specifically, I'm not super worried about them. And again, this offense is so concentrated before between those three guys and George Kittle. Off the field, Sean Watson, a terrible human being. On the field, Kyle Allen was the better quarterback in that game on Sunday. So now Paulson, following a 54% completion rate, one pick, 130 yards for Deshaun Watson. Are we now basically only keeping faith and Amari Cooper, who was jammed a 40.9% target share, team high from Watson, um, or would you still consider starting Donovan Peoples-Jones, for example, in this game in Week 14? Yeah, I think coming in, you're wondering if they're going to continue their run-heavy ways uh, like they that they utilized with Jacoby Brissett, or were they going to now unleash Watson on the league? And we saw 22 pass attempts for Watson and 38 rushing attempts uh, in a great matchup uh, against the Texans. I mean, they knew they could run the ball on on Houston, and they did. Uh, They probably wisely wanted to ramp Watson up and not put too much on his plate uh, in his first game back. Uh, I think in the short term, I'm just going to treat this offense as it was kind of status quo in terms of run-pass split with uh, Brissett and Watson, the switch, you know, from Brissett to Watson. Uh, I would have, you know, thought that with this, if he's a really good quarterback and a really good fantasy quarterback, that the, the goal here is to get to more of a normal offense where uh, they're throwing the ball 55, you know, 58% of the time. Um, but I think here in the short term, as he's getting back up to speed and trying to get back up to game speed, 
that they're going to to stay run heavy. Uh, this is an interesting game though against Cincinnati because this could turn into a negative game script pretty quickly if the Bengals can jump out to a fourteen nothing lead or something. Uh, then the, the Browns have to kind of abandon the run or at least uh, pass the ball a little bit more to try to stay in the game. But I think, in, you know, as I mentioned, in the short term, I'm looking at like maybe a 50-50 split run pass with this team. And I know, Sam, a lot of people have stashed Deshaun Watson for the fantasy playoffs, and here we are. So in one quarterback leagues, would you take that list of guys we mentioned earlier, Jared Goff, Tyler Huntley, Mike White, over Ryan Tannehill as well, over Watson this week? I would. That's a really good question, and I think I would. I, I want to see more from him actually, again, being a good passer, being the quarterback that we saw back in Houston several years ago. But I I shared this. there. They had a negative 16.8 pass rate over expectation in this game, which was their single lowest mark on the season all year. It's their second lowest since the beginning of last season. So, Again, it, it very well could have been the team that they were playing. They, again, weren't forced to throw the ball a ton. Their defense did wonders for <laughs> keeping them uh, in the game and keeping them ahead. So I will be very, again, I mentioned this last week that we want to see how they have their run pass splits with Watson. And I think we'll get a little bit of a clearer picture this upcoming week as, again, it's his second game back in the system and likely is in a more competitive game. The Saints are on by this week, Paulson, but we did get the news that Mark Ingram is out for the rest of the year after the injury suffered on Monday night. And what we do know at least is that Alvin Kamara, who has one top 16 finish in his last seven games, uh, has handled 85% of New Orleans backfield touches without Ingram this year, four games, compared to seven games with Ingram, only 71% of the team's backfield touches. So is there any hope here, once the Saints return in Week 15, for Kamara to return to a confident low-end RB1, mid-RB1? Uh, I think you're, you know, where I'd probably rank him in, in the highest right now until we see more production is maybe a high-end RB2, low-end RB1. Um, you did mention the splits. That was the concern heading into the season for me, at least with Kamara. I wasn't drafting him. You know, he also had this off-field thing that we has kind of been forgotten about, at least for the remainder of the season. Um, but his, his you know, his matchups are, are really good coming off this week 14 bye. He's got Atlanta, the 25th adjusted fantasy points allowed in running backs, Cleveland 32nd, and then Philly uh, 19th adjusted fantasy points allowed to running back. So uh, with that floor being higher with uh, with Ingram likely out, I think we could rank him a little higher, but I don't think that's the only reason that he's not scoring rushing touchdowns. I think there, you know, there's a Taysom Hill problem here that isn't going away. Um, he'll, he'll have the catches and he'll have the carries, but will he get those goal line carries? And that's, you know, we, when we saw him score whatever five or six touchdowns in that one game a couple seasons ago, uh, that that where is it's where he can really take off his fantasy scoring. So I, I don't know that that's ever going to be there again with with Taysom Hill around. Uh, but certainly the touch floor should be significantly higher with Ingram sidelined. Sam, let's go ahead and actually move on to your charts because you want to talk about another backfield, one that we expect to be in positive game script this week: the Chiefs against the Broncos, a game that. You know the Broncos, how bad they are at football, and that 
Patrick Mahomes is on Sunday night and the NFL still flexed him out of prime time. They said, no, we cannot allow this to happen. So Sam, what are your thoughts on the Chiefs backfield this game and moving forward? Yeah, the, the Broncos always play the the Chiefs pretty tough and, and is is always a, a good matchup. But yeah, uh, this year might be a bit of a different story. But we're now halfway through Clyde Edwards-Hilaire's stint on the injured reserve. He's been on there for two games, has two more games on there. Unsure whether he'll he'll be able to come back right after those two games. But it's it's been really nice because it's just been Pacheco and uh, excuse me, Isaiah Pacheco and Jarek McKinnon being used, but they're being used in two very, very different ways. Jarek McKinnon is is clearly the sort of passing downs guy. He's played on 79% of the team's third down snaps over the last two weeks compared to 28, uh, excuse me, 16% for Pacheco. And Pacheco is getting almost all of his run on first and second down. He has 36 carries across the two games compared to just eight for McKinnon. So I do think that both of these players are startable. I'd have more confidence in Pacheco, given that he has that higher value workload from a a rushing perspective and has the touchdown equity. But McKinnon, again, catching anyone catching passes from Patrick Mahomes is going to be in a good situation. So I think, again, add Jarek McKinnon for sure if he somehow is on your waiver wire because it's really just those two when, and they're being used in distinct enough situations where they're not necessarily carving into one another's role. And to that point, the Chiefs also get the Broncos twice in their next three games. Uh, remember, the Chiefs literally scoring more than double points per game than the Broncos averaging less than 14 points per game. It's in a mess, which tells me, Paulson, then, at least for two of the next three games, I have the most confidence personally in Isaiah Pacheco, who has at least 15 carries in four consecutive games now, than Jarrett McKinnon. Yeah, definitely. I would start Pacheco. Uh, I feel pretty good confidence in him. 39 touches and two touchdowns in his last two games. Um, the matchup doesn't really stand out, but they've, the Broncos have given up an average of 124 total yards to running backs uh, in the last four games. I don't think they give up many touchdowns, though, but I think that might change this week against uh, against the Chiefs. I, you know, the Chiefs are a good favorite. They're you know going to be running from ahead probably, and, and Pacheco will be the one kind of salting that game away. We talked about the Saints' backfield already, but Sam, you would like to discuss the Saints wide receivers room ahead of their return from bye. Yeah, so Monday night, we I think we saw a rather interesting thing from the Saints wide receiver room. Chris Olave continues to be uh, an excellent pick for them, is probably my pick for offensive rookie of the year. But Jarvis Landry's been back the past couple of weeks. But Rashid Shahid looks like he might be at worst, the 2B, maybe the 2A to, to, to Landry and competing with them. Over the last two games, they've run the same number of routes. They've run, uh, excuse me, had about the same number of targets as well. And so I think if Jameis Winston were ever to return, and I'm, I'm done holding my breath on that happening, that 
Shahid is is a decent flex option because he's been extremely efficient. He has back-to-back games now with at least 50 receiving yards. He's averaging an absurd 19.9 yards per reception. I don't think he he's found the end zone in, in quite some time since that. I think it was a 50-yard rush uh, back earlier in the season. But he seems to have a slightly higher ceiling, in my opinion, than Jarvis Landry does as more of a PPR threat. So I think he Shahid is maybe worth a, a deep flex ad. Again, if you're in one of these FFPC leagues, like I mentioned, this is the last week he... I, if the Saints were playing this week, I would rather start Shahid over Jamison Williams. That's obviously not the case. But if we see a similar situation next week uh, with Williams not getting that much run, I think Shahid is at least interesting. Shahid, who logged a season high in snaps with a season high in targets this past game for the Saints, who return against the Falcons and Browns in weeks 15 and 16, two good spots. With that, Paulson, any other notes that you would like to get ahead of on week 14 before we get out of here? I just wanted to mention that Rashid Shahid's yard or yards per route run, 2.37, is almost as high. It's only 15 targets but uh, and 101 routes, but that's almost as high as Chris Olave's 2.45. So I think from a dynasty standpoint, too, I don't know how available he is, but uh, – you might be looking at the two receivers of the future for the the Saints in Rashid Shahid and uh, Chris Olave, with Olave obviously being the wide receiver one. Shahid was an undrafted uh, free agent, which is inter- always interesting. Uh, no, just have sneaky starts coming out and stay on top of these rankings. It's just I've already got a list of uh, players I need to add and remove from the rankings based on today's practice notes, so I'm going to jump on that. It's a mess, but we're almost there. So definitely keep locked into 44.com as Paulson updates everything on the back end. Sam, what do you have for everyone this week? New hop into conclusions came out this morning. We'll I'll continue to have the breakout model as well. Made a couple uh, improvements to the NFL team stat explorer as well that everyone should take a look at. Gotten a lot of good feedback on there. And uh, yeah, we'll be back next week. We'll be back as Paulson mentioned, on Friday to get everyone ready with final injury reports. I will be back as well on Friday, 6.30 p.m. Eastern with TJ Hernandez for DFS Breakdown, which we do go into a lot of final thoughts on lineups and offenses overall for Week 14. But until then, remember, be a little bit kinder than what's required. We'll see you then.